Beyond the noise around the 2020 presidential election, there's a lot going on in Washington, both on the legislative and the regulatory front. What's important and what's background static? And what might it mean for your practice and for your clients? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and delivers stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we are once again speaking with Jessica Waltman. She is principal at Forward Health Consulting. And she's also our resident legislative, political, and regulatory expert. She joins us quarterly, more or less, to help us make sense out of the nonsense that is Washington, D.C. Welcome, Jess. Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me back. This is always one of my highlights of my quarter. Well, it's our pleasure and our listeners love hearing from you. So let's let's dig right in because there's a lot to talk about, even though as we record this, there's nothing going on because of the shutdown. Hopefully by the time this airs, That'll be in the rearview mirror and there'll be lots of stuff going on, but there's still things happening and especially with the new Congress. So let's start with something that I know is a hot issue for most of our listeners and their clients and prospects, and that's drug prices. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on around drug prices. There really is, David. Congress is attempting to tackle it, but the administration is also trying to tackle it too, and they're coming at it from a bunch of different ways. Congress, even though right now there is a shutdown and there isn't that much going on besides that, they are starting to you know, organize and have hearings where they're looking at things like the prices and bringing public attention to it that way. And then there's two bipartisan bills that they're looking at. And given the divided government and the 2020 election approaching, these are two issues where I think that we may be able to see some action on. So one of the bills would provide, it's, it's called the CREATES Act. And basically, when a drug company develops a prescription medication that is a brand name, they will try and actually keep the drugs out of the hands of generic developers so that they can't develop alternatives as easily. And so this would prevent them from, you know, kind of keeping generic manufacturers from, you know, I don't know exactly what they do in the lab to take it apart or figure it all out, but it would ideally bring generics to the marketplace a little bit faster. So that's something that would need to be changed via statute. And then another thing that they're looking at is some bipartisan legislation that would bring more competition to the marketplace by preventing drug manufacturers from paying generic drug companies a fee so that they won't bring lower cost alternatives to the market. So they will actually pay their competitors not to play And that could potentially become illegal. So both of those things would need a change to the law. But 
There's other things that are going on, ideas being bandied about by the administration and other advocates that could be done on a regulatory level. So one of the things, and they, they can do it kind of two ways, through regulations on traditional health plans and then regulations on Medicare or other publicly funded programs like Medicaid. So with Medicare, oftentimes when there's a regulation or a change in that area, the rest of the market will come into play and start to do something similar. So the Trump administration is trying to influence policy that way. And then also sometimes when they apply things to companies that get money for Medicare or drugs that are covered by Medicare, you're going to hit the whole rest of the market because you know Medicare pays for the same you know, antibiotic that I would take for a sinus infection that my grandmother would take for a sinus infection. So any drug that would be covered. So some of their ideas are creating greater price transparency around Medicare drugs. They have a proposal out right now to require when there was a TV commercial for a drug, any drug that is covered by Medicare to disclose on the commercial that you would actually kind of a price estimate of what someone might pay for that drug when they went to the drugstore. So it would reveal if it was a specialty drug that might have a higher copay or what it would be. The issue is twofold. This regulation is pending. And there's kind of two, two questions here. One, how do they come up with an estimate of what people would actually pay that wouldn't actually confuse consumers? Since it's aimed at Medicare, they'd have to use the Medicare cost-sharing option, and obviously Medicare beneficiaries, depending on what type of coverage they have, they could pay all different kinds of things. They could pay a copay, they could pay a coinsurance rate, it would be hardly variable. So how would you get an accurate estimate? And the drug companies are kind of pushing back on that. And then the other thing is the requirement would only be for TV ads. And as the way that we get information changes, people are watching less and less actual TV live commercials. So it would not get advertising that hits consumers other ways. And that's the way most people are getting their information now. So there's questions about how useful that would be, but it's a start. Another thing that they're trying to do is really require more step therapy, utilization management, things like that in Medicare that would kind of bring Medicare beneficiaries into the same realm that traditional insurance consumers are paying, you know, dealing with with their drug prices now. And then finally, there's an interesting proposal that would require doctors to coordinate their technology with Medicare Part D and Medicare Advantage providers, like the, the insurers, and electronic medical records and develop technology so that doctors in real time, when they're talking to their patients about drug alternatives, would be able to look up and actually get the beneficiaries co-payment information based on their health plan, based on what their, their medical records were. And they could look at all their prescriptions and tell them and give them a real-time estimate of what the drug would pay. And the doctor would be able to look at two different alternatives and say, oh, well, this one would be a lot cheaper for you. Maybe we should try that first if it's medically appropriate. So if that technology all worked out and it would be phased in, it could be really advantageous to Medicare beneficiaries. And that might be something that would go down to the, to the private market. So they're really trying to build on those transparency elements and, you know, it might also spark some private market innovation. A lot of times 
companies that insure individuals, you know, through employer plans or in individual coverage, look at those ideas that come out of the Medicare program and then emulate them in the private market. We've been having this discussion about technology and data exchange and EMRs all the way going back to HIPAA. What's the likelihood that if this actually passes, it won't be so watered down that it actually wouldn't get? I mean, it's an intriguing idea, and I certainly think it's it's something that would be very good for consumers. But what's the likelihood that we'll actually get from point A to implementation in any of our lifetimes? Yeah, I mean, that's always the the big million-dollar question. And even even beyond HIPAA, there's always the question of, does the doctor actually do it? Does the technology actually work? We've all had instances where the technology is supposed to work, and it's amazing when it does, but sometimes it doesn't. So I don't think any of this stuff is going to be seamless. But then on the other hand, you know, I have three kids, and when the first one was born, we didn't even have a digital camera, and there were no cameras on our phone. And my last one was two years old and asking Siri to get him directions to take him to the beach. So a lot can change technology-wise in a span of just six or seven years. So maybe we'll be better off. But another thing that they are looking at doing is the Trump administration, just kind of more practical level with HIPAA, has put out what they call an RFI. It's not a regulation, but it's a request for information. And it's treated in a very official process like a regulation. And it's asking for questions about what should we do with the HIPAA data and privacy security requirements and how can we make them better to facilitate some of these cost containment elements, not just prescription drug stuff, but also other means of value-based payments so that providers and insurers can talk to each other more seamlessly in terms of their payment processes behind the scenes. And then also they're looking at it for mental health care because this is another area where Congress also will probably act in a bipartisan fashion and already has. But with the opioid crisis and with the mental health crisis in the United States, you know, it's not just funding for treatment or providing better avenues for treatment or restricting different types of drugs that are causing problems. But it's also the ability for families to be able to take care of their their loved ones easily. And sometimes HIPAA restrictions are in the way when people who are above 18 are facing a mental health or substance abuse crisis. And they're looking at ways in which they can protect consumers' privacy, but also facilitate care with family members and providers. And then they're also looking at businesses and saying, okay, are these privacy and data security rules working? And are they protecting people from current threats? Because obviously technology changes. So that's all going on right now too. The administration's asking for comments for that that are due in the middle of February. So they could perhaps move forward this year on making some pretty significant changes to the HIPAA privacy and data security rules. Well, and and families taking care of their loved ones actually cuts both ways because as we have baby boomers who are aging in place, you've got their children taking care of them and other caregivers. So it's that's an interesting discussion because it's a it's a much wider swath 
of the population than it might appear at first blush, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And with children with special needs, for example, children on the autism spectrum or other issues, I mean, their parents oftentimes have to have guardianship declared just to help the child with their medical issues. And then that can actually impact children's right to vote or other things. They might not really need full guardianship, But that's the only way right now to be able to handle a lot of the medical decisions with ease in some cases. I mean, there's always extenuating circumstances and different ways to get around it. But in some states and some places, those HIPAA privacy rules really do present a lot of roadblocks for people dealing with aging parents, children with special needs, and then people, unfortunately, with mental health care and substance abuse. And, and you know, they may prevent sharing of information. There's a lot of, inf- you know, with law enforcement, there's lots of reasons why I think we need to look at those rules, which were crafted, you know, in the early 2000s and say, are they relevant for today? And again, on the cost containment paying side. So I think it's a good thing that they're starting out and asking for information from all stakeholders about what can we do here? You know, those, those rules were never meant to be static. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years' experience working with healthcare and benefit clients, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health's solution, Go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. No, absolutely. So let, let's move to a, another subject that's near and dear to everyone's heart, and that's cost containment. What's going on? And I know there's conversations going on in that area, including surprise billing and some other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, all of this stuff with prescription drugs obviously goes on to cost containment as well. But there is an increased focus on transparency. I think and you see that in these prescription drug proposals, but just in general. And then interestingly, there is a lot of attention right now at the federal level on surprise billing or balanced billing issues. And there's been a lot of interesting national reporting from Fox and from others about, you know, gigantic ER bills that people get. And it's gotten a lot of attention. This is an issue that was addressed by the NEIC. It's an issue that's been addressed by some states. New Jersey did some very extensive legislation on this in the last year. New York has addressed it. Texas addressed it a few years ago. But they're looking at it on a national level because in a lot of states, it's been known as an issue, but it's stalled out. And so there's kind of a bipartisan group on it. There is some hearings that are likely to happen 
early winter, spring in D.C. on the House side. And then recently, President Trump was at a forum talking to people about different healthcare issues, and he raised the issue in very general terms. But the fact that it had gotten to his radar screen and he was able to articulate it in some of his talking points, people felt like it was significant because they thought that that showed that the White House may have priority. And again, given the divided nature of government and the coming election, you know, everyone's looking for issues that will help consumers and might actually get done. So if we had federal legislation to help with surprise billing, that could really help lower people's costs. And it's something that I think for health insurance agents, that's an area where agents often have to get involved when someone has a claims issue and they are just absolutely floored by the fact that, you know, they got this bill that they were not anticipating because, you know, their, their anesthesiologist or something was out of network and they had no idea. So. And that's an area, too, that people may want to look because even if it doesn't get off the ground at the federal level, there are so many states that are looking at it, too. Absolutely. And and so a couple of other things in the four or five, six minutes that we have left. I know there's some lawsuits out there that are floating around. And I think the first point to make about all of the lawsuits is that they're just that, they're lawsuits, and that employers and advisors can't really change anything they're doing in like an ACA reporting and whatnot based on these lawsuits, but they are important to keep watching. What are, what are the one or two things that are out there that you think we really ought to keep on our radar? Right. So definitely the big one is the case Texas versus the United States, which challenges the validity of the whole ACA based on the fact that the mandate penalty is now $0. And that is, you know, pending on appeal, the first judge in the case did rule the entire ACA unconstitutional. But they have also ruled that on appeal, the entire ACA is enforced, you know, everything from employer reporting to the pre-existing condition protections. And oddly, the state of Maryland filed a contrary suit in a different jurisdiction, asking the jurisdiction to either flat out find the ACA constitutional and enforceable or declare the mandate penalty being zeroed down to zero unconstitutional to clear it up. So both of those cases are pending and they're blockbusters, but there's other stuff that you need to be watching because again, those ACA cases, the big ones, they're not changing any requirements for now. And they're likely to not be resolved for at least another year or two, just as they go through the court process And it's important to remember that in the original ACA challenge case, NFIB versus Sebelius, there was a point where the entire ACA was struck down in that case too, exactly as it is now. And we all know how that turned out. And again, the law went on during appeals. Some other cases, though, that I am tracking because they do have a potential to impact things right away. One is one that just had a ruling. It's actually two cases. And it deals with the religious or moral exemptions regulations to the ACA preventive care requirements regarding contraceptives. So they would apply to, you know, kind of expanding that exemption beyond closely controlled companies and religious institutions to allow other entities to claim that exception for religious or moral reasons. You know, basically, there's two groups of states that are challenging those rules, saying that they will cause harm to the states and also that they were kind of enacted. The regulations were done outside of 
regular processes. So we're kind of coming at it from two grounds. And there's two judges working on the case right now. And one has enjoined those rules for the entire United States for the time being. So there's an injunction. So that expansion of the contraceptive exception process has been put on hold. So it's not enforceable. So that new rule is not in play. It just goes back to the old Obama administration rules, which are limited exceptions for for religious reasons. You can't do that expanded exception anymore. So if a broker has a client that wanted to take advantage of that regulation, that expanded regulation, right now they cannot. So that's something to keep an eye on. And they probably will not be able to do so for, I mean, I think you can kind of write off the 2019 plan year just as it goes through the courts. I could be wrong on that, but I, I would think that they might want to just keep an eye on that if that's something they're interested in. The other thing is there's challenges going on to the AHP rule, to the short-term plan rules. And then also there's some challenges going on regarding risk adjustment payments. So all of those things are pending. They're much less likely to impact people directly right now. Although, you know, the short-term plan rule and the AHP rule, depending on how they go forward, you know, they could block market action in those states, you know, kind of coming into the spring. So that's something I would, I'm definitely keeping an eye on. And if you're working in those markets or have clients that have interest in AHPs, you know, nothing has really changed right now, but you might want to keep an eye on it. We are such a, a litigious society that, you know, you've got to watch all this stuff all the time because you never know what's out there in the ether. But again, the thing to know is that they're just court cases. They're working their way through. And until there's a final ruling on all this stuff, employers need to keep doing what they've been doing and advi- or not doing if there's been any injunctive relief and that advisors need to be aware of this so they can advise their clients and their prospects accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, just one final thing, because I I feel like it's the elephant in the room and I didn't really mention it, but this is also something that is not in play yet. So you just keep on doing what you're doing is the HRA rule. But it's likely that that will, we will get final regulations from the Trump administration, like kind of in the late spring, you know, so that would be something that they would be looking for. The rule itself was never the first version of the rule was never intended for anything beyond the 2020 plan year. And it's entirely possible that when they finalize those rules, depending on what they make available to people, that you might not even be able to put it into play until 2021. But that's something that I know a lot of advisors are thinking about, about how it could affect the market. And and that's great to keep an eye on it, but it is a long time out. It will, it's nothing that will have an immediate effect. Then you'll have to come back and let us know what's going on with all of them. Uh, there's always so much more to talk about than time permits. But but thank you for being here again, Jessica Waltman, Principal at Forward Health Consulting. And as I said, our, our resident legislative, political, and regulatory guru. Thanks, Jess. Thanks so much, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.